2: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Roundtable. I'm your host, Jake Jackman, and you can reach us at the show by emailing us at championshiproundtable at gmail.com.
3: Hi, I'm Russ Goldman. I am the host of Cottage Talk. You can follow me on Twitter at Cottage Talk and also at Russ underscore Goldman. I support form.
4: Hi, I'm Andy Taylor, a longtime supporter of Derby County. You can find me on Twitter at booktaylor 64 where there is also a link to my uh, blog about the Rams.
2: Thanks so much for joining us today, guys. We'll start with making rounds where each of us have a few minutes to discuss what our clubs have been doing over the last week. We'll start with you, Ross. A disappointing week for Fulham, a drawing midweek, and then a loss to QPI yesterday in the Derby. Talk us through your thoughts on the last seven days.
3: Wow, it's, uh, it's, it's been a difficult seven days because if I look at the beginning of it, uh, I am actually uh, encouraged by what I saw uh, at Naughty and I thought Fulham played very well. And uh, uh, that match could have gone either way. Uh, Fulham actually, I thought, did enough to win that match. But, you know, I'll, I'll take a draw on the road, uh, especially at that place where Fulham have struggled before. So it was encouraging. The way that they played, the performance was decent. And they looked more solid. At the- so I was encouraged by that performance. And then Fulham basically had the same starting lineup except for Chris Martin, uh, the place of, of, uh, Chris Martin taking the place of of Chris Martin taking the place of Matt Smith for the for the match against QPR and everything that could have gone on in this match went and it went wrong for foam when, when you actually missed two penalties you're not going to win many many matches at all and you're probably going to lose I, I I can't remember a full match where they've had two penalties we we actually just did a show and 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 uh, there was precedent for this but it's been a long time and uh it was just disappointing because they played well but in the end it's about the result and when you w- when you lose to your local rival in such horrible fashion it's a it's a terrible loss and to go in national break like that is uh is horrible so it, it in the end it's been a bad week for Fulham
2: when it was the first international break, it was Fulham and Huddersfield sort of at the top of the league having great starts. <laughs> so I just really want to ask you what sort of has gone wrong since then, and is there any reason why Fulham's results have dropped off, and are you still confident that maybe you can challenge for a playoff spot this year?
3: I still think they can. Uh, the problem right now is all about scoring goals, and going into that international break, they were they were playing very well. Well, he uh, at that point, Solvisa started uh, tinkering with adding new players, and it just hasn't, it hasn't come off. It, it just hasn't come off. The goals haven't increased, and that's been part of the problem. Uh, defensively, they, they still have been pretty solid, but I think I think really it is about meshing all together with adding the new players to the mix. It, it just hasn't come off. That, that's what I think has gone wrong, because they were solid going into the break, but then he's added new, new players, and it just hasn't, it hasn't come all together.
2: Yeah just from from the outside looking in it was uh, when Slavisa talked about uh the the way players were bought and it sort of maybe a, a veiled a dig at the uh, club's transfer policy i think it was towards the end of the transfer window at the time it seemed like he was doing that from a position of power where you're doing so well in the league and he could sort of maybe yep. make do- more demands but is it possible that those comments have caused the slump in some way or do you think that they are ha- completely separate things
1: i think i
3: I, I think they're completely separate things i think I think this I think this really just has to do with uh with with executing altogether they're just not executing and uh you know and I also think what it has to do is, is a couple of players playing out of position what we think players playing out of position you know I don't think he's playing to all of uh, the strengths of everyone that he has. He has Tom Kearney playing out on the right where he should be uh more central. You know, we were just talking about Sonia luco playing central where maybe he should be on the right. So I think I think there's a bit of that going on.
2: And just moving on to you now, Andy, um, obviously a lot has changed since you last came on. Uh, Nigel Pearson, stuff's happened with that. He's been suspended. Chris Powell's taken charge on the interim basis. How are you feeling about Derby at the moment?
4: <laughs> I don't know what to feel at the minute. I mean, basically... Um... Tuesday afternoon, a few hours before the away game at Cardiff, the news came through that Nigel Pearson had been suspended. Uh, Chris Powell has taken temporary charge. Uh, we won the game 2-0. Then we looked uh, one of our coaches, Inigo Idiarquez, has been fired. Uh, we go on to yesterday... Where uh, we drew one all were red in red in scoring in the time added on to uh, save the game for them, but it, it didn't stop there. You know the fun and games. Um, first of all, uh, the Derby owner Mel Morris banned the local radio station from interviewing any of the Derby players, coaches, any of the officials. I think he uh, took a uh, Took offence to the fact that Radio Derby had uh, described the club as a soap opera, but uh, to be quite honest, I'm telling oof. And then uh, the newspapers this morning uh, in the Red Tops, it's saying the disagreement that Pearson had with Morris was over usage of drones to spy on the training sessions. Now the club haven't. Um, they haven't actually denied it. they have they've, they've, uh, I think they've yet to make any comment over the allegations. Um, so <laughs> it seems a strange one to me because all, all the pitches at the uh, training ground at Moore Farm are covered by cameras anyway. But, uh, you know, life's certainly never boring uh <laughs> Derby.
2: Yeah, and just on the managerial situation, do you have any sort of preference about where you want it to go? Is there any managers you'd like to come in or do you think Chris Powell could potentially do it uh, going forwards?
4: Well, uh, I've got to be honest. I thought Nigel Pearson was the right appointment at the start of the season. Majority of people did. Hasn't worked out. He's tried to play the 4-4-2. Hasn't worked out. Tuesday night, we reverted to the 4-3-3. Um, but Chris Powell has said that Nigel Pearson had selected the team that he played on Tuesday. Um, It's obvious to me that Nigel Pearson isn't going to be coming back. So we've got to look what's going to happen at the end of the day. You know, you're talking compensation for Nigel Pearson. If he's sacked, you could be talking two, three million pounds. Now, although, our net spend isn't that high this season because of the uh, two or three players we've sold. Uh, when you look at appointing another manager from, from the outside rather from within, uh, you have to take into account how it is going to affect you regarding the financial fair play. So, I've got a sneaky feeling that Chris Powell will get the job for the rest of the season, um, which may may be the sensible option, you know, uh, to keep the books in order. However, uh, (laughs) you know, you you can't have it both ways, but you've got to be looking at uh, a manager, another manager who's proven to uh, have. you know, being successful in gaining promotion to the Premier League. Uh, there's a couple of names that stand out and there, w- there won't be uh, everybody's choice, but uh, Steve Bruce is currently out of work. Um, also, Neil Warnock is. So, you know, who knows? My, my, my guess is that Chris Powell will stay for the rest of the season.
2: There were a few links to Steve McLaren. Obviously, he managed you before before he came up to Newcastle and completely messed it up up here. But um, would you welcome him back? Or do you think that that's sort of just paper talk and there's not really anything in that? Uh,
4: I don't know if there is anything in it. It wouldn't surprise me if there was. But I I certainly wouldn't want Steve McLaren back. He had us coasting um, towards the Premier League. Um, Obviously, we had the disappointment in the playoff final. But the following season up to the speculation linking him with Newcastle. You know, we were there. We, we, we were still in of automatic promotion. Uh, the playoffs at least should have been nailed on. And then he, he, refused, he, he refused to rule out the fact that he may move to Newcastle. And from that point onwards, um, we just didn't play again the rest of the season. Uh, you know, I can remember the final game of the season... Ironically, it was against Reading. Uh, A point would have been enough. And, uh, you know, we lost the game. The rest is history. It infuriated, quite rightly infuriated, our owner. And uh, he found himself getting fired. Um, I'm a big believer in the never go back. It rarely ever works. Um, I think Derby fans are pretty divided. There's some of those who recommend the pretty football we played. And, you know, to be fair... Up until that speculation, um, we were playing some of the best football we'd played in 30 years. But, uh, you know, once he's done it, you know, he's done it once, uh, you know, flirted with other jobs, Will would we trust him to do, you know, uh, not do it again?
2: Yeah, and just from a Newcastle perspective, I I wouldn't want Steve McLaren at my cl- club managing so I think that's definitely one you should avoid um, just moving on to Newcastle currently we've had a good week it, it started off quite poorly um Against Norwich we were three three one down, um, at home and it was one of those games that I felt like if we lost it, we'd have lost a lot of ground at the top of the table. And it would have been maybe eight or nine points off Norwich and that, that would have been that would have been a huge setback at that point. But somehow we managed to come back and win that game. I don't know how. I think it was just one of those miraculous football get matches that happen occasionally that you just your team just manages to score two goals in two minutes and it's it's incredible. I don't know how it happened. I think on the base, on the reflect, on reflecting on the game, I think we deserve to win it. We were probably the better team, but Norwich took their chances and we didn't. But in the end, it didn't matter. We managed to come back, and I think that's the type of performance and the type of the fashion of winning that can really build build the belief that you need to go on and win, get promotion. Because if you can turn a game around against a, a rival at the top of the table like that. Then the squad should be so full, just full of confidence, and we should be able to go on and sort of go on that run that Burnley did last season, that Middlesbrough did last season, where they just secured themselves at the top of the table. So I'm hoping that that is the start of that. And yesterday against Rotherham, we had another very a very good win. It wasn't a great performance. Rotherham perhaps should have uh, should have got a point. They they played very well. Uh, played a lot better than the team that is at the bottom of the table currently. But we had that extra bit of quality, we scored the goal when we needed to, we managed to see it out, defended very well and and got those vital three points on the road and yeah, there's some Newcastle supporters that were complaining about the fashion of the performance, saying that we should have scored more, saying that Rotherham were at the bottom of the table and if we want to go on and win promotion, we need to be putting those sides to the sword and sort of be winning by three or four goals. But I don't agree with that, I think every single team has their merits, They're, they're all very good and they're all tough to beat on their day and... When you go away from home, you cannot complain about three points, no matter what the performance is like. So I'm very happy with that. And I think we've only conceded two goals away from home this season, which sort of shows how how tough we are to beat on on the road. Uh, Russ did see Fulham beat us on the first day of the (laughs) season, but I don't think that's going to be something that happens a lot for the rest of the campaign. I think we've really started to build momentum. And I think there's four teams at the top now that are really starting to pull away. I think Huddersfield are still there. Norwich got another good win yesterday and there's Brighton as well who have recovered very well from the disappointment at the end of last season. So it's going to be interesting at the top of the table, but I'm starting to become more and more confident that we're going to be in that top two. I can't see. I think if a team finishes above Newcastle this season, they've done very, very well. And if a team does finish above us, they're going to get promoted. That's my current view on on Newcastle. I'm very happy with where we are and I I think it's a great place to go on an Interact. So breaking out where we've got those two wins, and we can really build on that when we come back uh, before Christmas.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
0: That's O-S-E-A, Malibu.com, code GLOW.
2: Just moving into the topic for today, I just want to quickly touch on the corruption scandal that has sort of happened over the last week. Jimmy Floyd Hasselmack has been implemented, a current championship manager. There's a lot more names in the lower leagues that have, have been linked to this corruption, things that have been going on. What are your thoughts on that? And do you think that it could possibly affect your own club? What's that of you, Ross?
3: Yeah, um, you know it's funny because that was a thought that went through my mind. It was like, well, wait a minute, they they're coming up with all kinds of names. This is a, a huge thing. Could it affect film? I certainly hope not, because this really is about corruption. I, I actually did another podcast and we talked about. And uh, the thing that is so scary about it is uh, Allardyce and also Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. The way that they are, the, the the way that they were so nonchalant about it that they know how this game works. So I think that uh, this thing is far-reaching, meaning that uh, I think this stuff goes on in the game of football, and, and it's scary. Uh, so I don't think this is the last that we've heard about it. I just uh, I, I hope that it doesn't touch Fulham.
2: Yeah, just your thoughts on it, Andy. Are you sort of similar to Russ, that you're so um, dis- disgusted at what, what is sort of going on, and do you think it could affect Derby?
4: Uh, I don't know. Um, as, as Harry Redknapp just been mentioned in it, um, he sat in the stands for us uh, last season. Uh, I don't know. I mean, to be quite honest, I'd only comment on the guys who have actually been caught red-handed. <coughs> Excuse me. It's been going on since transfer fees first came in. But what is more um, infuriating about it happening today? is the money these sort of people are on already. You know, w- w- Sam Olladweiss was on a few million uh, managing the England team and going into dodgy business for an extra 400 grand. You know, it just shows to me the the whole culture of greed within the game at the moment. Um, hopefully it's not going to uh, reach Derby County. I, I don't think it will. But uh, you know, you never know, do you? But I'm I'm waiting for the the rest of the names to be released with interest.
2: Yeah, it's it's difficult to comment on at the moment because obviously there's so much more to come out uh, of what the Telegraph have been doing. I think it's very concerning for me that Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. So it, the the figures involved were not really eye-watering at all compared to what you earn in the game of football. I think fifty-five thousand was mentioned. Like that's that's not. I mean, it's a lot of money for from where I'm sitting right now, but it's not an overwhelming amount for somebody involved in football, especially at that high level. So it's, it's very concerning how nonchalantly they, they got involved. And it it's worrying. It, I mean, it's obvious that things go on in football that we don't know about. It's a huge sport. There's gre- There's a lot of greedy people in, in the in the sport at the moment, but it, it is just concerning how that has come out. And I'm hoping, like you two, that it does not touch my club, and it has not yet. But I just want to move on to Aston Villa now because, um, yeah, they've been in the news quite a lot recently. They've come down after an awful season in the Premier League, spent lots of money. I think a lot of fans from other clubs have been a bit jealous of sort of the resources they have due to the parachute payments and the money they've earned in the Premier League. And they now look set to sack Roberto Di Matteo after a little over a month, not that long in charge, really. Um, have you been surprised by their struggles? And do you think they're going to recover and maybe challenge for the playoffs?
3: Uh, I'm not surprised because I kind of lived through this with Fulham. Uh, I saw your side as a, a little bit. I thought you were more prepared for this than, say, Aston Villa. I could see this coming w- with Aston Villa. So, so, so no, it, do, it it definitely doesn't surprise me. Uh, I don't think that they're going to get relegated, uh, but I think that they're spending the, they spent their money uh, a good amount of it on. On goal scorers, which is fine, offensive players, but you need a balanced team. We we made the mistake of purchasing Ross McCormack and really nothing else around it, and that caused all kinds of problems. Well, they purchased Ross McCormack, purchased some other offensive players, and and and, and I know that they have defensively as well, but I just don't think that this is a well-rounded team, and I think that they're going to continue to struggle regardless who's who the manager is.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair fair point. I think when I when we were relegated, I thought Aston Villa had a much bigger job on their uh, hands to sort of get up and challenge for the promotion because our squad was, is still pretty good and we strengthened well. And we had a manager that knows what he's doing more so than Roberto Di Matteo, who I think has been a very lucky manager. And I was surprised that they appointed him at the time because I don't think he has the sort of personality to turn that losing culture around into a winning one. And I think that's been reflected over the first five uh six or seven games and it's probably the right time for them to get rid of him and sort of bring in a more experienced manager one that can sort of get into the players and get them to realize that they're now in a new division like last season's gone they need to move on from that and they've got they've got a squad that should be in the top four of this division at least and i'm surprised they haven't i mean you've talked about the money they spend mainly on offensive players but they did also bring in tommy Alfick, a very good defender i Jedinak uh, did very well at Palace and. Did very well in the Premier League for a long time and Richie Delat as well, a good fullback who's done well in the championship in the past. So it's not like they've only spent on attacking players, isn't it? Sure. But I mean, I think they're gonna recover. I think they should I mean, ironically, I think that Nigel Pearson would have been a fantastic man for that job when they got relegated, but he went to Derby and obviously that hasn't gone great for him. And maybe maybe that's something that could happen because I think he's the type of character that they need at the moment. What what would your thoughts be on that, Andy?
4: Well, yeah, I mean, to be quite honest, when they first got relegated, look through the squad. um, Look at the additions they've made. They should be up there. They should be pushing for top six. Um, Appointment of the manager. I like Roberto De Matteo. I think he's a smashing blow. I don't think he's a top quality manager. Probably not a strong enough character. Um, they, they, They need a sort of manager that's going to kick some butts now. And uh, you know, demand that they uh, do the job that they were bought for. I mean, as as it stands at the moment, uh, if they cannot get um, somebody in to motivate that squad to get into the top six, then I think this goes deeper. I think it uh, it may be uh, a culture problem within the club. Uh, the thing is, when Di Matteo sacked. Who applies for the job itself will be very interesting indeed, um, because um, if there's a, a culture thing, uh, they, they may they may struggle to attract a decent quality manager without uh, paying over the odds for for him. Like as it stands at the minute, unless things really dramatically improve, I think they're going to finish mid-table or just below.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um when we played them last week they got a late equalizer and it's and they could have easily went on and gone on and won that game and at that point i thought maybe that was the turning point it maybe gave them a bit of belief and confidence that they can you know score goals and challenge the best teams in the division but it just hasn't worked out like that and it is concerning for them because once you get, if they're not really get this season, their wage budget and the amount of money they've spent is obviously going to have an effect on their finances. They've recently been taken over, and I'm not a big fan of the owner. I think he's way too outspoken. He's way too involved in the football, and I I think that it would take a brave manager to take that job. I've seen Steve Bruce mentioned, a former Birmingham City manager we all know what Aston Villa fans are like. Two losses, three losses, that's going to become an issue. So I don't think he's a realistic candidate for that job. And I can't see who is. Like Nigel Pearson, I mentioned earlier, but I just I don't see him going back into football this soon. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's been properly dismissed at Derby yet, has he, Andy? I don't, I don't know if that's completely finished.
4: No, he's, uh, he's currently suspended. Uh, there's a club investigation. Um, I'm pretty certain it will end with his dismissal. You know, um, but... He, t- he took quite a, a long time out when he left. He, he may do the same again. He may want to uh, take time out, regather his thoughts, you know, and, and plan his next move forward. And you, you see, what I think about uh, the, the Pearson, Russ warned me about this uh, before we appointed <laughs> him, was the fact he hasn't got Walsh and Shakespeare with him. That's but, right. You know, so is, is, is that, not having them, does that... Does that take some of the uh, the influence away? When we first appointed him, I thought, well, he's got Chris Powell and he's got Kevin Phillips and Danigo ego He's got a couple of Derby men in there, a well-respected former pro. You know, I was quite confident, but may, may, maybe that is what has gone wrong. He hasn't got the uh, the two usual sidekicks. You know, where he he discusses and and his ideas off.
2: Yeah, I mean it, that's the case of a lot of managers. Though they all have their coaching staff. I mean, I thought that he would he would do well at Derby. I've, I was surprised how badly that went. But maybe that is why it's gone wrong. He doesn't have his, his coaching staff, and maybe he's not good enough to, you know, click with new people. He's a very aggressive character as it is. Like I can imagine he's he's not the best character to have around the squad. But I just want to quickly move on. Judah Ross said, I want uh, we. Spoke briefly off air about Ross McCormack and your thoughts on him. Sure. What What are your views on him now he's moved to Villa? And do you think that his signing was maybe not one that Villa should have made?
3: I don't think it's one that Villa should have made. Uh, and this is this really has to do with him as a player. He, I see him as similar to Wayne Rooney. You basically have to uh, basically build a team around him instead of the team basically playing as a unit it really is about him he becomes the focal point and I think that takes away from so many different things you want to do it really becomes instead of Astonville instead of Fulham it really becomes Ross McCormack team and I think that is one of the issues that Villa is having is instead of playing a system that works best for the unit you try to to play the team to best suit Ross McCormack and I think that's I, I think that's a fatal flaw and I think that's been a problem for any team that has had him. You know, you see all the goals and, and, and all the production, but it's similar to Wayne Rooney where, where, in, in, where, where you're worried about playing Wayne Rooney instead of doing what's best for your team. Manchester United have, have made the adjustment, and I'm not saying that you can't play Ross McCormack. I, I just think that it has to be more than being about Ross McCormack. It, all, it, it tends to be about him.
2: I mean, at the start of the season for Fulham, like the media were saying how important he was to Fulham. And when he left, he, some were even talking about Fulham for relegation. That's not been the case. and I mean, it speaks volumes that the moment he left, it it was actually the start of your very good run. Like you, you beat Newcastle, you went on that good unbeaten um, run at the start of the season. So may, maybe he is that type of player that is you can struggle to get into a team. When we got relegated, he was a player that I thought that maybe Newcastle should move to. But they never really seem to be really interested in him. And they seem to decide that Dwight Gale's is a much better fit. And it, now looking at what Dwight Gale has been doing, what Morosta McCormick has been doing, it does seem like that, that was a good call from the club. So yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting character, one that hasn't got to the Premier League yet. And there there must be a reason for that. And I, I think maybe we're seeing that this season, yeah. but um yeah, I just want to um, talk about the summer signings that our club have made now. Um, who has made the biggest impact since signing for your club and has anyone sort of disappointed or underwhelmed?
3: Okay, well, the summer signing that has worked out best for Fulham, and unfortunately he is injured right now, and I think Fulham are suffering because of him being out, is Tomas Callis, uh on loan from Chelsea. He has, is, he is, to me, been the best signing. I know it's only a loan signing, but Fulham have seriously struggled the last few seasons, uh, with with our center backs, with our defense in general, he really has been a stabilizing factor back there. So, with him not being in the, of the last couple of matches, I, I think Fulham have without him. Uh, he really is a, a calming influence with that back four. He really is just uh, just someone that you can count on. Uh, so he has been been the best summer signing. The one that I, I, right now has been the worst signing would have to be Sonia Luco, and, and I know this is a free signing, but Sonia Luco uh, huffs and puffs he he is uh, very offensive and 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 has a good amount of pace and looks like he can do a good amount, but he just can't score he I, I can now see why uh, he I, I wouldn't say fell out of favor but was not the first choice with Steve Bruce at Hull City because he just can't score and we need someone that can score goals. He, he just can't do it. So for me, it really comes down to Sonia Luco. I think if you played him out on the wing, he could help you, but being uh, one of two strikers or behind the main striker, that isn't a major issue with Fulham. I, uh, he, he's just missed so many opportunities and, and yesterday was a, uh, was a major major point of emphasis to to what he can't do. He just can't score.
2: I should ask you about Chris Martin now because it makes a little sure. sense with Andy on the on the show as well. How has <laughs> he settled in at Fulham, and is is he the striker that you think you needed after you sold Ross McCormack?
3: You know what? I actually think he will be. I think right now it's just a matter of time. He, he's starting to to mesh in with with Fulham. I I I, I think uh, I, I think it's just a matter of him getting used to his teammates. And uh, as Andy has told me, as long as it's not a four-four-two and and more of like a four-three-three, we we've been playing the four-two-three-one with him as the lone striker. I think eventually, once full, once he gets to know his teammates and gets his teammates involved, it's it's going to pay off. It's just a matter of time.
2: Yeah, and on, on the opposite view of that, uh, a question for you now, Andy: have, have you been missing him? And do you think that maybe you should not have let him go to Fulham?
4: Um, I don't know. I, I... A lot of fans were quite mystified by the fact that we let him go. Um, if you play him correctly, he will he will get you 15 goals or more. He's got 25, 21 and 15 in the pre-full seasons he's been with us. He will take a half a dozen games uh, to, to get settled in. And you need to be playing somebody off him as well. Now, what our fans were mystified about was... If you could compare a championship striker in the past few seasons who had a similar sort of style to Chris Martin, it would have been Troy Deeney, you know, a striker that can hold the ball up well. Well, Matty Vidra had his most successful season at Watford playing alongside Troy Deeney. Now, we get to the deadline day. Chris Martin has gone on the loan. Fulham have got an option to purchase if they wish to do so. We bring in Maté Vidra. And at the, at the current moment in time, there's nobody around that closely resembles Chris Martin to take advantage. So, you know, it was quite, kind of a funny one. But looking at it on the other side of the coin, um, the past few months haven't been his best performances in a Derby shirt. Maybe he did need the move. You know, we, we don't know. We, only, we can only see what's going on uh, on the field itself. We, we don't know what's going on behind if he's unsettled or if there's any other influences. So, you know, it's a funny one.
2: And just moving on to your uh, the signings that you made over the summer. I know Derby didn't make too many signings compared to Fulham and Newcastle, but uh, who has sort of stood out of the signs you have made and has anyone disappointed?
4: To be quite honest, honest, and two of them, uh, two of the three signings we've made were made on deadline day. Anya from Watford, he has impressed me. Good work rate, good attitude, fast. Um, you know, to me, that looks a good signing. Vidra, we've had flashes of it. He's scored a couple of goals, two goals in the last three games. He's come closer another couple of times. <clears throat> but like I say, we could do with a big man up front with him. Um, also, we um, excuse me, we've got James Wilson on the season loan from Manchester United. Um, he's a young lad. I don't think he is going to be starting in most of the games. Well, not currently anyway. And it would probably be a little unfair to judge him. He does come rated. Uh, by Manchester United, but he's 21. So, you know, I tend to think at the age of 21, you might want to be um, at least scoring in the championship. Hasn't looked particularly threatening, but to say that, up, up until Tuesday, we'd, we'd played very, very poor all season anyway.
2: Wilson, it's an interesting one because I... Uh watched a lot of Brighton last year where he was uh, on loan there and he didn't play a great deal. And when he did, he didn't look like he, he was good enough for the Championship for me. I think he, he did well in the Premier League for Manchester United under Ryan Giggs. I think he scored a couple of goals. But since then, I think his attitude is a bit of a problem. I think I know when he was at Brighton, he w- he, he went out a lot and he, he wasn't maybe shown as much commitment to his pr- profession as other people doing. That's why he's been taken over by so many strikes at Manchester United I don't think he has a future there and it, it, I was intrigued when Derby signed him thought it was another good chance for him to impress and when I, he played against Newcastle he didn't impress me there so I, I would can't see him doing a great deal for you this season I hope he proves me wrong and he sort of uh, gets down and scores goals he definitely has talent but he, he just hasn't done it um he didn't do it at Brighton last season and I just can't see him doing it at Derby this season sadly but I'll uh, we'll just move on to Newcastle signings because Newcastle made about two squads worth of signings this summer so yeah, there's been a few. Uh, Dwight who he's got the hat-trick that turned it around in midweek and uh, you know he, he hasn't been he hasn't been great in every game but when he does play well he is very very good um, it's the, a season in the championship is going to do him the world of good and I think he's gonna if we do go back up he's going to be a force in the Premier League as well I think it was a good move for him and he's he's scoring goals and that's only a good thing and uh, the other player that I'd like to mention who's done very well is Kieran Clark. I didn't think he was going to be a good signing was I, it underwhelmed me when we signed him, but he's come into the starting eleven, replaced Chancellor Bemba, and he's done very well. He's solid, no-nonsense, and working under a coach like Benitez is only going to help him, because I think at Villa, he hasn't been coached terrifically, and there has always been errors in his game, but they seem to be growing less and less as he plays for Newcastle, which is good. Um, the player I'd like to say that disappointed me since we signed him is Mo He has not done much at all in a Newcastle shirt Uh, he tries hard but when he's on the ball the quality of his passing and the quality of his shooting is not great and I'm surprised he's still in the starting eleven. To be honest, I, I just don't really see what he offers. I, I know it's a like-for-like replacement for Moussa Sissoko, he's a similar sort of player, but I, I, he just isn't adding anything to our team at all. And I, I, we spoke about this at the time, Russ, and you said that you thought that would be the type of player that you want at Fulham. But since he signed for us, I just can't, I just haven't seen it. I just I just don't really know what he gives. I hope it, he improves. I know he did very well for Hull last season. I'm sure he's going to score goals. He's going to do things. But at the moment, he's not impressing me. And the final of four topics today I want to discuss is the coverage of the championship. We spoke briefly when you last came on, Russ, that it can be difficult to follow sometimes. Do you think it deserves more television exposure and how do you yourself deal with sort of the limited coverage?
3: Well, I think it totally deserves more coverage. You know, listen, there, there are many big teams in the championship. So many teams have gone up and down now. So I think it deserves so much more coverage. And, uh, I don't understand why Sky Sports or someone else hasn't increased the amount of uh, coverage that they're currently doing. And I've said this before, if they don't, if the uh, if, say, Sky Sports or a network doesn't want to do it, let the teams cover it. What They have the ability to stream it live. Why don't they? Uh, you know, again, Darby County, Newcastle United, Aston Villa, Fulham, there are so many teams that fans would pay for it around the world it's a global it 's a global league now it really is because you know it, if the championship is as as competitive I think it is well why wouldn't you want to increase it uh you know th- the coverage of it that, that's the part of this that, that that I just don't understand
2: yeah i'm obviously very new to the league i've been following the premier League for a long time i mean i I've, I've followed the championship. To an extent but not overly and since coming in since uh the season started i've been surprised at the quality of all the other all the other teams in the league it's so competitive and like even yesterday we played rotherham who are bottom of the league but they were they were a very good team they there was a lot of good things about them they were very well organized they offered a threat from set pieces and it was a tough game for us to get a result i mean it was not an easy three points by any stretch of the imagination and I've I I mean I've be I I have the opportunity to go to games where I'm in the UK. I, I can go to games. I'm, unlike you, Russ, you don't have that luxury. Right. But I I went to the opening day against Fulham. I've not been to a game since, m- mainly because I live in on the opposite side of the country and I'm a student. So I don't really want to bankrupt myself. But I mean I'm lucky because Newcastle are often tr- picked as a television game, and I can watch them. I will go to a few more games this season, but it, like it, when Newcastle aren't televised, it's difficult to follow the matches and like radio commentary. I didn't expect I'd ever have to be following football radio commentary again, but I've had to adapt to that this season. And it's been strange. Like I, I thought that uh, I think it, should, it deserves way more coverage. It's, it's such a good league. and It does.
3: It really, <laughs> it, it, it really does. And you asked me, I'm sorry to, to butt in. You asked me, how do I follow it? And I'm going to tell you how I follow it. I follow it on the up, listening to it, a radio broadcast of it. And then I wait the next day for a replay because I watch every single replay. I do. I watch all of them because, you know, one, I want to see it. But two, if I'm going to do a podcast about it, I feel that I need to watch it. So I watch every single one of these replays, but I have to wait the next day to see it, which I think, again, is wrong. I, I think it's wrong. I think they're missing an opportunity if, if they charged. I don't know, five to ten pounds a month. I think that that uh, it could it could be a huge amount to all the teams to be another revenue stream. That, that's what I said. I think that you're denying people the right to see these games, the ability. I shouldn't say right, the the ability to see these games. And I just think it's I think it's too bad. I think that, I think they're I think the league is missing an opportunity to grow this championship league, which is strong. I mean, we keep talking about it being. This so competitive week. Well, why aren't you showing it more?
2: Yeah, especially when you think of the amount of television and things. The Championship could easily get a lot more if they sort of sold the rights, even even maybe not even the Sky. There are a lot of other channels out there, both overseas and in the UK. I'm sure there are other channels Absolutely. that would pay to show more Championship games on a weekly basis. So I think there's definitely a missed opportunity. What are your sort of thoughts on this, Andy?
4: Uh, we're not going to get live games whilst other games are being played at the same time on a Saturday afternoon, which I can understand. Uh, I myself, unfortunately, I'm a season ticket holder. Uh, but the the actual coverage itself, I I don't mind so much the midweek games when they move for TV coverage. I do find it rather annoying when Saturday games are put back. I don't mind the early kickoffs. But the, the half past five games is just, a, you know, a real inconvenience to me, looking at it selfishly. The coverage we get, apart from the few games on Sky, and I do wish they'd get rid of Don Goodman. I find him extremely annoying. Um, it's the Channel 5, the Championship. Now, I don't know... what if you've seen that show and what you think of it, to me, it's, it's just like a football version of Tiswas. It is atrocious, absolutely <laughs> atrocious. I actually, I preferred the BBC version. wasn't um, perfect, but I think Manish, even though he was a very Leicester leaning man, they they didn't do a bad show. The the pundits who who were on at the time, Steve Claridge, used to take a lot of. Flack uh, with some of the comments he used to come out with. But at the end of the day, you know, all pundits are going to take Flack from somewhere. <laughs> You're not going to agree with everything any pundit says. But uh, Don Goodman, though, from Sky's got to go from me. Uh, main reason, he just seems to be anti-Derby every time we're on. <laughs> but,
3: well, that's a good but, reason, Andy.
4: Well, uh oh, Russ, you, you should listen to some of it. He, he just, whenever we're on, he's always on Derby's backs. No matter if we're playing well or we're playing poorly. You no, know? but uh, yeah, better coverage is needed. And I think there, I think there is a market overseas to to have some sort of stream service for the people that want to watch the games over there, rather than having to rely on the illegal sites when they're you do get the odd championship game streamed um, and you know, that itself's risky because some of these sites are so dodgy you know, uh, but that's my point of view anyway
2: Yeah, I know it would be difficult for the three o'clock, especially in the UK I know, I know there's rules against showing football between, I think, is it quarter to 3 and half and uh, quarter past 5 is it because i think i yeah. think even one year there was a spanish i think it was real madrid barcelona was shown up started at 5 o'clock and they couldn't show it in the uk till quarter past 5 so i know there are rules against that but i have been surprised by the limited coverage i mean even in the week i think on wednesday newcastle norwich played I, d- I hate to bring it back to newcastle but it's just a good example at the time if it was newcastle aston villa i would have used that but uh, that was on on Wednesday evening, and there was no televis It was not televised in the UK, even though Sky Sports have no Champions League football. They don't have the rights to show that, and they could have easily have shown the Newcastle Norwich game, but they chose not to. So that that sort of struck me as odd, because t- I think they would have pulled in viewers because Newcastle are a very well supported club, and it, it, I <laughs> I hate bringing it back to Newcastle. But that was just the example I'm thinking of at the time but we'll move on from that. (laughs) We will move on from that. (laughs) Moving on to player watching the games this weekend, which players impressed and disappointed in your fixture? So we'll start with you, Russ.
3: Well, for me, it has to be Scott Parker, and that is part of what we've been talking about the last 24 hours. Scott Parker played incredible. For his age, he was running the show, and uh, Savisa Jokonovic took him off uh, with I think the 77th minute he took him off and Scott Parker at one point got a knock and he went off the pitch, came back looked like he was running okay. So then he made a substitution taking him off and putting on this player Yotha Bed, who's a very offensive player and doesn't really offer what Scott Parker can do. He, they're just different types of players. So the argument has been, on my show and and uh, on on the forums, why did he take off scar Parker? If he was injured that's one thing. Uh, but if it was tactical, uh, I think Suviciokonoich made a major mistake because after that uh, after that uh, QPR took over the match and uh, and w- were on the front foot and and actually a, a mistake by Yohabeth led to the QPR goal which gave him the victory two to one. The disappointing player I've already mentioned was Sonia Aluko. He had so many chances to score. And actually, uh, in the 94th minute, the fourth minute of stoppage time, he had a penalty and he hit the post. And that basically just sums up Sonia Luco's career with Fulham. It's just, it just isn't good enough. He just can't score. So he was the biggest disappointment, unfortunately. I, I'm sure he's a great guy. He just isn't getting it done Uh, where he's playing maybe like I said as a winger maybe it'll be different but where he's playing just not getting it done
2: yeah Yeah, and the same question for you Andy who were impressed and disappointed for Derby this weekend
4: can I cheat and go back to Tuesday night (laughs) (laughs) yeah go ahead
2: go go for Tuesday's (laughs) game if that is go for Tuesday's game
4: well the reason I want to go back to Tuesday not just because we won but uh we had a, a young lad making his full league debut now uh we lost Craig for at left-back a few weeks ago. ACL again, like last season. Marcus Olsen came into the back into the side. He hasn't really impressed me. Um, I, I, I'm still trying to work out why we bought him because he, he can be uh, very, well, not very confident in the tackle. Anyway, Tuesday night, Max Lowe, young lad, come through the academy. I think he will be our next big thing to come through the academy made made the start um impeccable all night good tackles um good on the attack good passes everything he's he's been called up for the england under 20s unfortunately he's had to pull out with a bruised ankle but i think his performance that night um that that deserves you know our player of the week yeah, and and it's good to see you know the wind the footsteps of your Huddlestons, Hendricks and Hughes's, uh and another good young lad. And that's one of the pleasing things to see at the club over the past few years, no matter when we've been having good seasons and bad seasons, has been the young lads that have come through. And a uh, big pat on the back for Max Lowe.
2: And for Newcastle's game this weekend, I did manage to see the game and it was it wasn't a great performance but a few players stood out I think Christian Atsu has to be mentioned it was his first start for us and he scored a very very good goal to win it and he was creating chances all through the game and he looked at our biggest threat in the in the attack and half so he played very well and he deserves credit Kieran Clark is another player I just want to quickly mention I talked about him last week and I talked to him about him earlier I, I seem to be his biggest fan at the moment but he's done so well since coming in and he's dislodged chancellor bever in the starting line up who everybody thought is our best defender at the start of the season but now he can't even get into the team and it's i've been so impressed by how much kieran clark has improved and adapted to us that i think he deserves to be mentioned again and <laughs> i'm going to talk about another player now who i've already talked about Mo arme he wasn't great again this weekend it's just he just it's just not working for him at newcastle it's just, he's he's getting in good positions he's getting chances to score and he's just not doing it and it's been clear to me in the last few games that we need to start killing these away matches. It happened at Aston Villa, we conceded in the late goal. We easily could have done something similar yesterday because I think Rotherham scored. No, Rotherham hit the post in the uh, stoppage time, which was a huge worry because I thought it was going to be exactly the same as the Villa game. But we need to start killing these games off. And Modi is a essential piece of our attacking lineup, and at he's just not doing it at the moment. I would much rather see Jose Perez go come in, into that number 10 role or even Dwight Gale come into that number 10 role and Alexander Mitrovic go up front because that could be quite interesting. That's how we won the game against Norwich. We put the two strikes on and they worked very well together. So that's something that I think we could change going forwards. But with that, we're now out of time. We've covered a lot in today's show. Thanks so much for coming on today, guys. And if you'd just like to tell people where they can reach you or any projects you're involved in, now would be a good time.
3: Okay, well, I am at Russ underscore Goldman and also at Cottage Talk. Uh, Please do check out the recent episode of Cottage Talk where we uh, talked about this unfortunate QPR loss for foam. Uh, You can go to blogtalkradio.com slash Cottage Talk to hear the show.
4: And you can find me on Twitter at BookTaylor64. And on there, you will find a link to my Derby County blog site.
2: Yeah, and you could get my personal Twitter page at Jake Jackman with two I I write for EPL Index, The Boot Room, Newcastle 360, and Total Dutch Football. So, pretty much every website going. I write for a lot of websites, and I do plug my stuff when they come online on my Twitter feed. So, give me a follow over there. And I just want to thank you all for listening today, guys. And we hope you can join us again soon on the Championship Roundtable.